Hey everyone, I'm back with Gandhi Part 4, and I think I'm going to call this Gandhi Blossoms, because I think that this first period where he really gets to work in South Africa is one that really starts to show what he's capable of, and what he will end up doing in India, and what he will become so well known for in his life, and in our conception of history. So what Gandhi does in South Africa is really, when we take a look at it now, it's it's impressive. It is something which should not be just sort of taken for granted. It's It's something which we really should look at and say, wow, this is... A model. This is something for us to look at. This is something for us to really analyze and perhaps learn from so that we can take steps forward in the things that we do and how we inspire change. So the first part is overall, Gandhi was spectacular at bringing people together and getting people to unite together under the same cause or something to push for. In particular, when he was in South Africa, he brought Indians together. There was a large Indian population in South Africa who, like the native African population of South Africa, were oppressed and did not have equal rights and were mistreated under the law. And Gandhi recognized this. And as a lawyer, he was aware of these differences and really wanted to produce key societal change. So what he does to start is he creates this National Indian Congress which is a composition of, or no, it's called the Natal Indian Congress. Uh, Natal, like the city in South Africa. It can be easy to confuse that with national because of the N-A-T, and it ends in A-L, so just a few letters less. So the Natal Indian Congress, he starts in South Africa when he's really getting his work off the ground. And in this initial beginning, he brings a bunch of Indians together from different social positions and also different professions in India, but especially agriculture. And something that Gandhi comments on, which seems to be little known about Indians and their history in South Africa, is they had a significant impact on the agricultural development of South Africa. And in this impact that they had, they needed to come together come together in order to advocate for themselves. They needed to work together across the population of Indians who had different beliefs or different ways of seeing the world. They needed to come together in order to do better, in order to actually advocate effectively for their rights and advocate effectively for the welfare of their people. 
and also in general, the welfare for everyone. To start to set an example and a precedent, which Nelson Mandela would pick up on and later use successfully in the independence movement in South Africa and the breaking of the apartheid system. So Gandhi brings together this Natal Indian Congress and he gets all of these Indians to work together and to be very, very organized and cohesive as a unit. And one thing he talks about, which is perhaps of little note, but I want to mention it here because I find it to be particularly interesting, is he talks about accounting and the importance of accounting and not going into debt as an organization. And he says that his Natal Indian Congress never went into debt. And in thinking through that, I thought it was really noteworthy of the importance of an organization not being in debt to someone, not needing to pay back some investment that has been made. Because when that is the case, then that organization no longer solely has the interest that the organization itself has. And when the organization can only have interests in the problem, issue, or cause that it is supporting or attempting to solve, then the effectiveness of that movement is going to be greater. And when we look at the effectiveness of Gandhi in this movement, I think that you have to admit that at least some part has to do with his ability to organize people and also work organizationally so that they did not have any other interests to think about apart from solely the interests that they were pursuing. And in creating this Indian Congress, he utilizes this to do a variety of critical things. And the first thing is the Boer War. So the Boer War begins in the 1890s in India. And Gandhi inspires various members of the Natal Indian Congress. In fact, he names the number in the book, 1,100 Indians. He inspires them to go and provide medical support during the war. A war that they didn't really have much interest in. A war where Indians weren't really participating on one side or another. But he saw this as a place where there was going to be pain and suffering. And there was going to be conflict and struggle and he knew that his people could provide support to help the situation to decrease the amount of suffering and to do the best with their human duties and he does this effectively in bringing together these 1100 people including himself to go participate support and provide medical support during this Boer War and he does it again for the Zulu Rebellion, which comes later on. And the curious thing about the Zulu Rebellion, which I reflected on and Gandhi discusses in the book, is they are forced to care for the Zulus because they are not white. So the Zulus are fighting the the Boers and the, the British who have come and established settlement there and even though the Indians are colonized by Britain and they 
have some sort of allegiance to them and in in a much greater connection culturally to them than to the Zulus. They were still made to care for them. They were still made to go and help them because of the color of their skin. And this was really impactful for me because this is, you know, on the cusp of the start of the the 20th century, of course. Race in the world at that time is still in real struggle and difficulty in understanding what can we make of this? How can we do better at this? And of course, 20, 30 years earlier, the United States has had their civil war and made some progress in the area of of race in abolishing slavery and attempting to take a step forward. Of course, that history is muddy in itself in terms of how long it really takes to provide anything close to a semblance of equality. But nevertheless, this piece about race and equality comes up here where they are made to take care of the Zulus. And Gandhi doesn't seem to have any qualms with this. And he seems to be willing to do this because it is the service which is much more important than for whom he is serving. And to support these people, to reduce the amount of suffering, to support them, the pain and the struggle that is occurring in war, that is the mission itself, the caring that takes place, the nursing that takes place through providing this medical support is what is important to Gandhi, is what is important to these people. And I think when we think about that, the thing which is very curious about, which I think is is a, a crux of Gandhi, which is why he was so successful, but is very difficult to pin down and to really understand and replicate, is he was able to inspire people to find purpose in the causes that he had a vision for. He was able to identify and say, hey, you are the people who are part of my Congress, you are the people of my community, my country, whatever it is. And this is something that I want us to focus on and to fight for and to push for. And this is the meaning and the fulfillment that you'll get out of it. And even if there is pain and suffering and toil that goes into participating in this, you will get something greater out of it. Your life will be better because of your enduring. And he was able to inspire people to do this over and over again. And it starts here in South Africa. And it continues and grows immensely in what he does in India later on, which I'll talk about in future episodes, of course. But this piece about inspiring people to a cause into finding a purpose and committing to a purpose and to being inspired by this purpose over time, that is just so provocative. It's so eye-opening. And something which I think we could learn a great deal from studying. And the last place where he brought Indians together, which I found to be quite intriguing because of 
it being a start of his different ideas in terms of the organization of society is the Phoenix Settlement, which is basically this place where he inspired a bunch of Indians to come and live and work together in a sort of self-subsistence culture and area. And in doing so, he creates this printing center where they're printing out these pamphlets and different uh, newspapers and notices and such, which they're distributing to the Indian people and, and to people outside of, of that circle as well to provide information, provide news, and also advocate for the causes that, that they were identifying and the, the disenfranchisement of, of Indians especially. And I found this capacity to get a bunch of people to just say, hey, pick up your life and come over here and establish this settlement with me and work on this printing thing and do this and perhaps not make a lot of money from doing it, but you'll have your needs met, period. It'll be all right. People were just willing to pick up and go. And he was inspiring to the degree that people would look at this and say, you know what? I want to do this. I want to go. I want to support him. And I'm inspired by him. And I found that to just be so profound. The ability to inspire people to just pick up and go settle somewhere else. Where there was great uncertainty, but also purpose and inspiration which was found in this leader, this man, who was by no means a massive physical presence, who was throughout his life fairly skinny and frail, thin, not much physically about him. He wasn't a large, abrupt, extremely extroverted and, and, and bodacious individual. He was very reserved, that piece very clear, direct, and, and, and centered, and, and calm in these efforts. And I found this especially to be so eye-opening for me, because in seeing someone be able to do that, it gives me hope that the leaders of today and the leaders of the future do not have to be wildly charismatic and they do not have to be these extremely extroverted over-the-top bombastic individuals they can be people who through action through doing through going out and participating in the world having conversations establishing community having clarity in goals and in the process to achieve those goals you can actually succeed. You can inspire people. You can actually lead to change that is meaningful. That, for me, was just so inspiring because I feel that that fits so much more into my mold of leadership and how I think leadership could be for more people and for the actual genuine deep progress of society. And to conclude, I want to talk about some other things outside of his capacity to bring Indians together and to inspire people to come together for the purpose of causes and, and reaching goals, collective goals. 
so in his time in South Africa, he, he also has a number of different learnings and, and reflections. And I want to talk through a few of these as, as I close out. And he has some really, really good quotes, which I think speak to this. So he talks about justice in a very interesting way. And not necessarily the nature of justice, but how to achieve justice, the path to justice. And he says, We win justice quickest by rendering justice to the other party. And I find this to be something which a lot of people would struggle with now. Something that people would have qualms with today because it requires something of the people who are oppressed. It requires something of the people on the bad end of injustice. It requires them to rise above these injustices which are committed to them and to say, hey, you know what? You may treat me poorly and you may do me wrong and you may try to push me down in society. But I will not let that phase me and I will go about my life and in fact... I will do so so well, where I will treat you well. I will maintain responsibility for myself. I will care for myself and, 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 and those around me. And I will strive to make society better. And even in fact, I will try I will strive to make society better for me and you, and not just for me. And through doing that, we'll all get better. And I will treat you with love and respect and justice throughout the way. This is a massive challenge. This is a massive gauntlet to throw down. But Gandhi, for some reason, felt convinced by this. Convinced by this deep respect. Convinced by this capacity. To render justice to others, even if they were not doing so to you. Gandhi also discusses truth fairly extensively in this part. And he has an absolutely brilliant quote by, by my estimation where he says, Truth is like a vast tree, which yields more and more fruit the more you nurture it. The deeper the search in the mind of truth, the richer the discovery of the gems buried there in the shape of openings for an ever greater variety of service. And I found this to be really inspiring as well. Because he's clearly understanding that this deep reflection, this deep pursuit, this deep striving for learning and understanding and for making sense of the world in the best way possible is at least for me it's just really touching it's inspiring and that pursuit of truth that pursuit of something that goes beyond you this thing that goes beyond a certain reality this thing that that is is 
so high that it is the ideal of ideals. Because it is like the nature of reality. It is the reality itself. It is the capacity of reality. That is truth. And to, to understand that, that ideal, to understand what is deeply, that is an incredibly meaningful pursuit. It is one that causes challenge and deep self-reflection, deep self-questioning. But it is one that is so gratifying across its pursuit. And Gandhi is able to, to pursue this and to succeed so well in, in his striving for truth, even though, of course, he will admit at the end of his book that he doesn't believe that he has made the greatest strides and that he has achieved this obtaining of, of truth in his lifetime. Gandhi also talks about passion in this section. And I find that the way in which he discusses passion is one which we today would have some, some challenges with really making sense of and really And in really like seeing the way in which this does manifest itself today and, and the way in which it could because of just the way in which our society is going. And in fact, what sets that up is this quote that he says earlier on. And he says, In trying to cure one old disease, we give rise to a hundred new ones. In trying to enjoy the pleasures of sense, we lose, in the end, even our capacity for enjoyment. All this is passing before our very eyes, but there are none so blind as those who will not see. And in saying this quote, he's clearly bringing up this imminent evolution of society which we have seen since the time of his writing, since the cusp of the 20th century. We have seen the development. We have seen the industrialization. We have seen the growth and the solving of, of, of so many problems. And we have also seen, with the growth and the solving of those problems, we have seen the evolution and the increasing and the, the, the generation of so many new problems that have stemmed from our solutions. Through industrialization, more people are brought out from the worst of the worst, but what do we see? We see a greater gap in societal inequalities. We see greater gaps in opportunities. We see mistreatment of workers. We see suffering for workers and their families when they're underpaid. We see so many more problems that come out of it. And one can make the assessment and say, hey, is this really better or, or, or are we really not better? And also, if we are better, then what are the things in which we aren't better so that we can continue to get better? 
And the other thing which he touches on, which relates to that passion point, is he is so aware of the human condition to be able to point this out with such wisdom. And of course, this is a piece of wisdom which has been around for centuries even before him. But it seemed oh so few who would be able to expound upon it and mention it and discuss it with eloquence. The way in which he did in his writing and in the way that would actually reach people. And when he says, in trying to enjoy the pleasures of sense, we lose in the end even our capacity for enjoyment. And perhaps he didn't know that social media would come. Perhaps he didn't know that all of these things would be on their way, that the the literal overwhelming of sense because of the opportunity to be overwhelmed by sense, the literal changing of our neural wiring based on the exposure to stimuli to stimuli that we would have. He was aware that when we reap the benefits of those pleasures when we have the opportunities to, if we do it too much and start to incorporate it and make it so normalized, we can no longer enjoy because we no longer have the capacity to understand that enjoyment. And it goes to the example of if someone eats ice cream, a massive bowl of ice cream every single day, they will enjoy it less and less and less and less over time. But if you eat really well and you eat really healthy and you do a good job and, and, and perhaps one day a year you just have this small tasting, the richness of that be so much greater for you in that moment in comparison to that person who is smacking and downing bowls and bowls of ice cream every day. And maintaining that capacity for enjoyment, that capacity to enjoy even the smallest of things, being able to enjoy reading. It's, it's so hard for people to read nowadays because they're reading these small things and they're, they're struggling to actually read because they're seeing so many videos and photos and, and just things that one and after another after another and being distracted one way or another versus being able to take in a simple pleasure to enjoy that and to come out of boredom into an enjoyment I just find it to be really profound that he's able to make this sort of statement with such profound implications so early and of course there were always rumblings and this was always developing itself there was always evolution of how there are so many things that are growing and, and things that society was concerned about in terms of the youth being exposed to more stuff and la 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 like this was a common trend throughout our entire human history but to be able to point it out and to talk about it and discuss it in a certain way that is sensible was so important i think is a critical contribution and to, to finish, I want to talk about his point regarding passions. And this point that he makes is, uh, I find to be one of the most beautiful parts of 
his autobiography. And he says, A man who is swayed by passions may have good enough intentions, may be truthful in word, but he will never find the truth. A successful search for truth means complete deliverance from the from the dual throng such as love and hate, happiness and misery. And this is something which has been the massive philosophical struggle across human history. The challenge to distance oneself from immediate gratification, the struggle to step back from passion, to step back from that which is so tempting, to strive away from temptation, to understand that temptation is there, but to see the passion and to not give in to it. To be able to reach higher levels of consciousness and understanding of the self and the world around the self. And to be able to find truth through this deeper connection, which passions and being overwhelmed by immediate gratification and and, and immediate stimuli, which those things interrupt. Having the capacity to distance oneself from that and from the emotional extremes that come with passion, which come with being emotionally involved and and being so deeply and therefore subconsciously or unconsciously emotionally involved to the point where your consciousness of it is no longer there. Where love, hate, happiness and misery are all just coming and going, coming and going without you really realizing what is happening. And when one is able to take a step back from from those passions and those emotions and the roller coaster that they are, one can perhaps reach a higher understanding and thus make greater sense of truth and find truth to an even greater degree than he who is driven by passion. So I'll end there. I'll leave those thoughts. This has been an incredibly long but meaningful episode. I hope that you enjoyed it and and you enjoyed hearing me talk through the different reflections and, and key points which Gandhi brings up in his book. And I hope that they can mean perhaps a sliver as much to you as they do to me. Thanks for tuning in. It means so much to me. And as always, I'll be back soon. And next time with some more Gandhi, we'll get into the fun stuff. So thanks for tuning in. It means a lot to me. Uh, And as always, much, much love. Cheers.